Textile Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Deus Ex Dow podcast. You're with your host, Zero X Lude, and today I'm joined by Big Fish Joe from Bond Protocol. How are you going, Joey? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm going well, thank you. Um, maybe we'll kick this off firstly, if you, don't, um, if you don't mind giving us a bit of an intro about yourself and what you do at Bond Protocol. Definitely. Um, my name is Joe, Joey, Big Fish Joe, and I lead business development and strategy at Bond Protocol. And what Bond Protocol is, is we're a permissionless marketplace through which issuers can acquire quote assets from community members in return for issuing vested tokens. We have more products that I'll get into soon, um, but we've been pioneering the concept of on-chain bonds and bonding um, over the past couple of years, dating back to previous iterations of our product. Yeah, awesome. So I think, um, I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar with um, the OMIs and the Olympus days, but maybe if you give us a bit of a history of uh, when where bonding or bond protocol came from and the premise behind like proto, protocol and liquidity, and I guess flowing into your V1 product and, and what that looked like. History definitely helps set the stage and uh, provide additional context here. Uh, so let's jump into a time machine. We're in 2021 spring, wag me. Um, everyone's making a lot of money from uh, DeFi summer and its continuation. Um, one one um, innovation that came out of DeFi summer was the concept of uh, pool two, or at least it was popularized, through which protocols could establish a baseline of liquidity through renting it from individuals who created LP tokens and staked it uh, in return for getting emissions as rewards. Um, and this was great for bootstrapping liquidity across the DeFi ecosystem. People were generating yield. But the issue there was it was depleting treasury assets. We'll, we'll go more into uh, problems and solutions on this. Um, but the concept of bonding was created by Olympus Dow in order to sustainably bootstrap a considerable treasury that had protocol-owned liquidity versus renting liquidity. And the general concept of bonding is that um, the issuer, which in this case was Olympus Dow, seeks to um, achieve and receive quote assets, LP tokens, ETH, stables. And so the community members would give them those assets in return for discounted vested OM in return that was issued from the treasury. Um, so the individuals who bonded in were able to get the OM that they wanted. Olympus got the treasury assets that they wanted. And the philosophy there was having OM's liquidity was better than rented liquidity because it created a much more resilient treasury and they didn't have to necessarily pay for a lot of those liquidity rental incentives associated with pool two. Um, and so Olympus experienced some pretty massive explosive growth. Uh, a lot of it was speculation driven with 3.3, a lot of marketing was involved there, but they were able to amass a treasury that I believe at one point was over 200 million in value across their own LP tokens, DAI mostly, ETH and other stables. Um, and a lot of folks, actually reached out and said, hey, how do we use bonding on our own? Uh, we want to use this for our projects in order to secure protocol and liquidity. And out of that, Olympus Pro was born, which was a DAO-to-DAO service through which um, people would use Olympus's bonding mechanism for a small fee of 3.3%. Um, the initial Olympus Pro experienced explosive growth. This was at the end of 2021. A lot of folks came in and wanted to issue bonds specifically for the use case of protocol and liquidity. There were some inefficiencies in the Olympus Pro contracts, namely that it was permissions. Um, it was very uh, cumbersome in order to create, scope, launch, and manage the bond programs. And a lot of that flowed through Olympus. And with more than 45 partners, that became a little bit untenable. Um, and 
when Olympus experienced a decline along with the broader market uh, in the beginning of 2022. We, as the Bond Protocol team that worked on Olympus Pro, sought to spin off in an amicable way and continue to develop the concepts of bonds um, along with other treasury management solutions in crypto and DeFi. Um, so we've been doing that since October of 2022, just past our first birthday. Very nice. Thank you for the background there. And I think those of us that were around during those days, it was a crazy time. And um, I think everyone started to appreciate how much power was in um, protocols owning their own liquidity after we saw like the unsustainable emissions. And then obviously driven by the hundreds of forks of Olympus, everyone mm -hmm. trying to achieve the same thing. And some of them are still surviving and have like pivoted uh, their token designs with after amassing like massive treasuries of assets. I think it's become very popular and it's like a something that is a success out of that era, I guess, of maybe an unsuccessful token design. Um, but maybe speaking about success, how, how has success looked for Bond over the past year, I guess, with the V1? How have you seen the um, uptake or like the adoption of the V1 bonds? And then sort of what's the feedback and like what have you sort of learned that is needed for V2? That's a great question. Um... And so Olympus uh, experienced some pretty explosive growth, growth with Olympus Pro during the Olympus heyday. Everyone wanted a piece of Olympus. Bond forging out on our own um, in a bear market condition. The growth hasn't been necessarily as explosive. But rather than focusing on just the pure concept of protocol-owned liquidity, we're seeking to have Bond cover an agnostic uh, amount of use cases for treasury management. Um, so in the bear, uh, rather than bonding liquidity tokens, which you can still do if you're seeking to own liquidity and ramp down pool two emissions, you can bond in stables to extend your runway. Um, you can bond in ETH in order to diversify into major asset classes or BTC, whatever asset that you want. Um, and so we've been working with projects that are taking more of a long-term sustainable approach to how they want to bond versus those that are just saying, hey, we want a lot of protocol and liquidity because the concept's hot and uh, the only model alternative we have at this point is pool two. Um, so the uptake, I think we've worked with more than uh, 22 projects at uh, Bond Protocol so far over the past year, ranging in sizes. Um, so we've worked with larger DAO treasuries such as GMX, such as Threshold DAO, mid caps like JPEG DAO, uh, as well as a lot of smaller cap projects that are looking to raise capital and bootstrap liquidity in their post token launch phase. Um, and so we do want to become in our uh, a free public good service. So whether it's a large project looking to extend runway through uh, issuing tokens on a consistent basis like GMX, or whether it is a project seeking to raise a modest amount of protocol on liquidity on Arbitrum uh, in order to taper down their liquidity incentives, bonds can uh, mix and match the different types of use cases and solutions we have. And that's generally the, the challenge, but also the exciting uh, solution that we create with the individual bond issuers is figuring out, okay, what is the core objective that you're trying to achieve? It could be reducing emissions, it could be extending runway, it could be diversifying assets to protect against market downturns. Great, what are you looking to acquire? How quickly are you looking to acquire it? And then how many tokens of your governance token are you going to be issuing in return for that? Uh, and so it's, it's not necessarily one size fits all, even though there are some recipes for success within bonding, but it's been a really exciting experience working with uh, big DAOs, small DAOs, one starting off, advanced DAOs, um, and crypto projects. Um, so the, the growth has been good, but there's definitely a lot of meat on the bone into uh, hopefully the next positive market cycle for Bond Protocol. Yeah, cool. I'm sure the uh, positive market cycle is not too far away. And it's interesting, I think, 
using uh, bond as like a continuous token sale mechanism almost as well as well. So it doesn't have to be like you said, protocol and liquidity. It can be just to extend runway through tougher times or diversify into more strategic assets. So if you want to um, acquire Aura or CRV or CVX or something like that to try and help your liquidity mining or your liquidity renting elsewhere, um, it's something that is, is able to be done as well. Yeah, exactly. And just to kind of double click on that, there, there's two philosophies of how to bond. Um, so issuers like GMX will just say, hey, let's play the averages and do continuous issuance of GMX acquiring DAI. So whether the market goes up, whether it goes down, we're issuing the same amount of GMX and acquiring relatively the same amount of DAI that's tracking with what the price of GMX is and that exchange rate. Whereas other bonders are more opportunistic. They'll see um, that their token price is either in like a very good spot and they want to take advantage of that token price, or potentially they're looking to acquire an asset where the exchange rate diverges in a way that's beneficial to them. An example there being JPEG, who uh, sought to acquire CVX from their community. Once JPEG price was going up, CVX price was kind of going down. So they issued a pretty aggressive bond program in order to capture it quickly. Uh, so again, it, it's not one size fits all for how and when to bond. It, it really is um, about the, the goal, the objective, and how quickly the, the DAOs and the issuers are looking to achieve that. Yeah, definitely. And I think it, it just highlights the uh, importance of having a treasury manager or someone that has their finger on the pulse um, in these DAOs so that if you are going to be opportunistic, you can take advantage of products like you guys have. And you'll and like as we'll touch on with V2 as well, um, it probably could require more of a hands-on approach as well from someone that understands the market a little bit better. Um, so maybe getting to V2, because we've spoken about it a little bit. First, before we get there, Maybe if you could, don't mind outlining what the uh, the previous attempts of liquidity mining maybe have looked like and sort of the fundamental flaws that have been with them just issuing tokens um, via the traditional methods that we've seen over the last couple of years. Sure. Um, so there, there's been a proliferation of different token incentive models and designs. Um, so starting with kind of the most basic one of liquidity mining, generally it's like standard pool two, where um, you're looking to rent liquidity from liquidity providers who create an LP token. They're pairing what is generally your uh, native governance token with ETH, with stables. They're staking it and they're receiving your native governance token in rewards. Um, this is kind of a, a tricky match to have, particularly against mercenary capital. Uh, it's pretty susceptible to large in, uh, individuals with large holdings coming in, farming your token, dumping it, which causes a negative uh, spiral where uh, community is not happy because the token price is down, liquidity is pulled. So you can't support larger trades or larger trades uh, cause slippage, but also you've diluted uh, your ownership of your own tokens because you paid those mercenaries in order to provide that temporary liquidity for you. Uh, and so the first kind of uh, next phase of that was bonding uh, to solve it, where rather than renting it, you're owning it, but you're still issuing, um, you know, vested payout assets in return. So it still is causing emissions. Probably the next phase was the, the concept of vote escrow and vote locking, where rather than uh, having, uh, you know, LP positions that can be immediately staked and unstaked, you make them lock, uh, whether it's liquidity or uh, your native governance token to receive boosted governance rights and also emissions in return. Uh, jury's still out on locking. Um, uh, some individuals feel like this gives insiders an early advantage just to lock away most of the token supply. They're also able to unlock first. They're getting the token incentives and just relocking it continuously, whereas retail is kind of faced with the fact, okay, do I lock for a longer time? How do I track the unlocks? Um, what if the token dumps and I'm locked in or something bad happens, which I think we've seen through 
um, like, you know, the curve uh, fiasco that happened earlier in August. Uh, we'll, we'll save that for another podcast. Um, but one newer concept that's starting to come out, and granted, there's been variations of different token models, is the concept of options liquidity mining. And this is transitioning into bond protocol V2 and what we're looking to do. Um, this was first created, to my understanding, by Andre Cronier uh, for Keeper Network in 2021. And the core concept was rather than issuing a liquid governance token to stakers, why don't we issue them a call option as an incentive? So thinking of like what a call option is, um, there's typically, if it's American style, there's going to be a strike price, which is um, the amount of quote asset you have to provide in order to exercise it and the expiry, which is the time you have to um, exercise by if you want the option and you can sell it in between. I'm not going to get into the Greeks and option theory here. Just keep in mind that there is a strike price and an expiry on uh, these American call options. Um, and so he was issuing those as rewards. And what this allowed uh, him to do was the uh, LPs that were receiving the call option, they would have to provide ETH or USDC in order to exercise the option and get the underlying governance token, which I think it was Keeper. K3PR, uh, if they did want to sell it, if they did want to include it in other strategies. And so rather than the treasury just losing Keeper, it was able to at least get some ETH and stables back into it in order to fund operations, in order to provide additional liquidity. So it mitigated the negative impact of uh, standard liquidity incentives and emissions. Um, this idea and concept was shelved for a bit um, through 2021 into 2022. Things were a little bit quiet but then Timeless um, revived it and repopularized it. Uh, so Timeless and Bunny, um, which allows for um, kind of uh, gauge boosting uh, for and liquidity bribes for Uni V3, I believe, um, uh, ended up issuing their own version, which was OLIT for the native governance token, which you can always purchase lit at a 50% discount for individuals that are participating in their ecosystem. Um, Tapioca DAO also launched their own spin on it, which they're calling DAO Share Options. Uh, which is a lot more complex as far as like the option token pricing based off of the amount of options tokens that are locked and some other price calculations. But there's been a renaissance of focus in this and shifting power away from mercenaries to the actual issuers and the DAOs who need to preserve and protect their treasury assets and the capital that's within them. Um, and so that's kind of been the general arc and trajectory of different token incentive model designs as we've seen it related to um, the evolution of liquidity mining. I've probably forgotten like one or two things in there, but that's uh, generally what we've seen. Yeah, cool. No, that, that's good. And I'm not too much I think is missing from there. It was a very good overview. Um, it's something interesting just came to my mind. I wonder why the Andre, the Keeper style did sort of go on the back burner for that time. I, I don't know really what the answer could be, whether that's like the Olympus style tokens were in popular or they were popular or we still had an influx of like high emission um, farms with pool twos. But yeah, do you have any perspective on why it didn't take off at the time? We've we've thought about that, and um, like all, all we can really do is uh, make well informed guesses. Uh, so I, I think one of it was uh, the implementation just wasn't part of a project that experienced explosive marketing growth. So like with Olympus Pro and bonding, Olympus was the the hottest thing in DeFi, riding the DeFi 2.0 wave with the release of like Curve and its uh, VE locking mechanism, Curve Wars was going on. So everyone wanted a piece of that and builders were kind of gravitating towards that type of token model. And they didn't, uh, Keeper Network didn't necessarily have that groundswell, even though 
you know, behind closed doors, it was still working quite well for them. Um, and so, you know, bear market things happen, the market turns, people went back to building and what was old is, is new again in some ways. Um, so people are always experimenting in the space and this became just something that we unearthed and decided, Hey, let's, let's see what we can do with this. Cause we think there's room to run with this model. Yeah, cool. I'm sure, I'm sure he won't watch this so I can say it, but yeah, Andre is the king of good ideas, but mm -hmm. uh, poor implementation that we've seen. So I think, um, it's good to see people innovate on his brainwaves, but, um, that maybe have the, uh, finesse to really execute things how maybe he envisioned it originally. Okay. So moving on, what is the implementation or how does it look for V2? So basically I'm a developer. I come to bond protocol and I want to int introduce, um, or implement options, liquidity mining. What does it look like? And sort of where, where do I start basically? That's a great question. Uh, and just to make it clear, the difference between bonds and options liquidity mining, uh, through bond issuance, you can go to bondprotocol.finance, access our dApp, and then immediately launch uh, your own bond market very quickly. And the, the bond marketplace is hosted on the dApp front end, even though anyone can run their own front ends, and some of our partners have implemented their own custom front ends as well. Uh, with options liquidity mining, it's a little bit more technical and nuanced. Um, so bond protocol has created um, a, a set of smart contracts through which developers will be able to create and issue their options tokens as incentives called O tokens, including a liquidity mining contract through which uh, individuals can stake into it and receive O tokens as rewards. Um, and we also have a, a couple variations on the actual O token contract as well, which uh, I'll get into, but it is implemented as part of the entire token economic solution. Uh, it can be pointed to standard pool two incentives. It can be pointed to bribe incentives other incentives. Uh, we've created the, the modular building blocks for developers to use our contracts that they can find on our Git repo for options contracts uh, in order to create, mint, have users redeem that and ultimately host it in their front end. I, I do want to double click on that. We do advise and recommend that our partners implementing OLM host it in their own front end to create a cohesive user experience so that users aren't jumping between different front ends and websites in order to collect, redeem, exercise their O tokens and uh, access the the rewards that they're getting from it. Yeah, cool. I think that makes a lot of sense. You don't want the users having to jump around um, and potentially at, at the beginning until it becomes more of a common uh, approach. Um, you think that there may be a little bit of confusion at the start as people adjust. Um, so yeah, I think that that's important. Um, maybe on the strike price. So you said lit or bunny and, and, OLIT, they use a 50% discount. Is that a standard discount that is implemented with your implementation or is it completely up to like a treasury manager, for example, to um, trial and try and error um, a few different options? We made ours as flexible as possible. So we, we do want treasury managers to experiment with how they set their strike price relative to the token price. An important thing to understand with uh, Bond Protocol's um, OLM model is that unlike uh, Timeless's implementation, which has uh, no expiry and is perpetual as far as its issuance. Um, so once you get the OLED tokens, you know that it's always 50% at any time that you want to exercise. Bond protocol is Epic based. And so what this means is there's an eligibility window from when you receive the O token for when you can exercise it, um, as well as when it expires. Um, so this provides an additional constraint to make sure that users um, are monitoring, uh, receiving their rewards for participating in the incentive programs. But then also, um, if they're not exercising, if they're not paying attention, um, just kind of like lazy LPing, I guess you can say, 
um, then the protocol is actually able to reclaim those rewards and uh, not effectively issue them as well. Um, and with Bonds implementation, there is a fixed strike at a fixed price. So it's not dynamic like Bunnies and Timeless, which is always 50%. It is set at the start of the epic based off of the delta between the market price of the underlying token and uh, the uh, price of the quote asset. And what we encourage is experimentation. Um, so set it at 20%, 33%, 50%. Typically, you want it to be if you're transitioning deeper in the money. Like let's say you're going from standard pool two and you're migrating to a solution like this because you don't want to create just like a, a violent shift in what the LP experience would be. Um, so you want to make sure that they're gradually getting into it, whether you're pointing the rewards at like a specific small incentive or pool or deploying it broadly deep in the money. And then over time, you can adjust the strike price up being closer to what the um, price of the actual underlying token is uh, or the payout asset there. Uh, it's a little bit of trial and error. Um, so like we'll walk partners through how they can think about it. And depending on the incentive, you might want a tight eligibility window in strike. You might want a broad one, but generally again, migrating, start small and scale up. But if you're a new project starting from scratch, then you have full autonomy and authority to implement it how you see fit. Yeah, cool. I like it how there's a lot of flexibility there. So really you can go into something that is like very reactive and fine tunable and have like treasury managers be able to to work on like a weekly basis and then you have someone an option for people that maybe aren't as familiar with what um treasury management and what they're really trying to achieve and they can have like a longer time period and have it a little bit more coarse and just try and acquire something for their emissions which is good um, and then maybe on the the quote asset that you receive, I'm assuming this is all uh, flexible as well. So you can basically determine whether you want USDC or DAI or ETH or whatever. Absolutely. Uh, it is up to the issuer of O tokens to determine what they want their quote asset to be. And there's a little bit of strategy that's involved there. Um, so generally, the quote asset that you're receiving should be um, something that provides a benefit to your treasury. Um, so it could be an LP token if you're seeking to reduce emissions elsewhere through owning liquidity. The trade-off there is LP tokens aren't as widely held as something like either USDs, USDC or other stables. But if you're looking to extend runway, the quote asset would typically be stables. If you're looking to diversify into major assets, it would be ETH or WBTC. But ultimately, it's up to the treasury manager's goals and how they evaluate how widely held the asset is among their community to make sure that people have easy access to exercising uh, set options. Yeah, cool. Now that makes a lot of sense. And maybe uh, what about say, so there's already a protocol that has their pool two ongoing and potentially they've used V1 um, regular bonding and now they've decided, okay, this seems to be the way that liquidity mining emissions or acquiring protocol and liquidity will go. How do they go about implementing it when they already have an ERC-20 that's live? So they can come to you, implement the modular approach, but then basically what's from there and what sort of help can they expect from you in regards to the impl implementation? Sure. Um, so we, if you're interested in, in working with the options liquidity mining product or even bonds for that matter at bondprotocol.finance or on our Twitter page, bond underscore protocol, please reach out. Uh, we're happy to consult you through the process. Um, but if they access the uh, options get repo that we have, and hopefully I can, I can share that in show notes, um, then they'd be able to see just kind of the general contract architecture we have, the configurations. Um, so we, we do have a OLM factory contract through which they can design uh, their actual OToken configurations as well as deploy the liquidity mining contract if they want to do that, um, specific to um, 
you know, uh, I guess for the O token specific to the strike eligibility window, price floor, and other um, things that they would need to track as far as parameters. Um, and so then once uh, they're live, we can help them deploy, or sorry, once they're ready to test, we can help them deploy on testnet. We can validate what their overall strategy is uh, and how that actually maps to their treasury. Um, so again, there should be a high level goal. They should be looking to extend their runway and acquire stables. They should be looking to diversify into other assets. And so we can map out how long they would have to keep the program running uh, and also taking into considerations what the LP or recipient experience would be. Because we again, we don't want them to create a, a program that's too aggressive. We don't want them to do something that the LP experience is going to be a, a little bit hampered. Um, but once we actually kind of contextualize what their overall goals and objectives are within the treasury, once we get them comfortable with the actual configurations, then it's up to the developers to deploy from our factory contracts and implement that within their overall uh, incentive program and design. Um, there will be a front end left, which we defer again to the partners in order to um, actually have the uh, O-token exercise and redemption mechanism in their front end uh, in order to distribute funds back to the user uh, or the, the payout asset. That being said, we do have an example library uh, with like a, a fake bond protocol front end that they can access from the options repo, um, which has all of the logic in, um, I believe, not Angular, um, I believe it's in React, but uh, we're hoping to get a couple additional toad or code templates live as well. Um, so again, just to kind of summarize, it's, it's kind of hands-on guided onboarding for us, but if you're uh, a wizard and you want to self-serve, we have all the information there in our Git repo and our getting started docs. Yeah, cool. Thank you. I have seen those docs. We'll link them in the show notes as well. But yeah, they're very thorough and make it very clear for someone like myself who's not a dev, but um, it seemed to be very understandable for me, which is good. Um, okay, moving on to partnerships. What, is there anyone that you can sort of announce that you're working with at the moment or any big impl implementations that will be coming out uh, as you roll out this product? So right now we can actually announce uh, projects that are going to be rolling out. We have four or five that should be live by uh, the beginning of November. Um, there are other implementations of OLM that are starting to pop up out in the wild. Uh, so Yearn and kind of their, their DeFi, DYFI is one that's embracing uh, not necessarily our implementation, but the concept of options liquidity mining that is getting a lot more uh, visibility and um, I guess buzz associated with it. Um, but uh, we will be announcing the specific partners that we have rolling out options liquidity mining as they occur towards the end of this month. And uh, marketing support is definitely something that we want to do with any issuers of, of O tokens as well. Um, so again, if you're interested in options liquidity mining, reach out, we can give you the guide on how we can work together from a, a marketing perspective. Cool, thanks for that, Joey. I guess uh, that's sort of touched on everything we wanted to touch on today. So where can people find you and how can they get in touch with you if they wanna implement um, any of your products? So whether that's a V1 or V2 um, into their DAP. You can get in touch through bondprotocol.finance. Uh, that's our, our primary website. You can access the D app from there as well. You can also reach out to us via Twitter at bond underscore protocol. We have a Discord server that's accessible via our Twitter, but you can also find me on Twitter at bfjoe1. I go by Joe, Joey, Big Fish Joe. Um, if you're interested in implementing OLM bonds or just want to have a conversation, please do reach out. We're happy to work with you and, and figure out what makes the most sense. We're never going to advise a program if it doesn't make sense. And we'll tell you if something looks a little bit wonky with how you're thinking about things. But uh, we do want to talk to any and all treasury managers. We, we do want to continue to iterate on our product offerings to make sure that we're building a, a comprehensive platform for token incentive management, for uh, treasury raises in any capacity. Uh, so feedback is welcome. And we do embrace any of the, the big brain thinkers in the space, such as Deus Ex Dow. 
Thank you. Thanks for your time today. And um, we look forward to seeing everything when it's launched soon. Likewise. Thanks so much, sir. Thanks for tuning in to the Deus Ex Dao podcast, a place where some of the most progressive and innovative builders, thought leaders, and traders in the crypto space come together to discuss all areas of the crypto industry. Whether you're into DeFi, Layer 1s, Layer 2s, NFTs, or anything in between, we've got you covered. And as a reminder, nothing said on this podcast should be construed as financial advice or as a solicitation to buy or sell any digital asset or security. The comments, views, and opinions expressed by the hosts or guests on the podcast are their own. As always, you'll need to do your own research.